Hello everyone and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we try to answer once and for all, what is the best comic book adaptation? Yes, be it movie or TV show, we'll watch and rank it until we have our definitive number one. And who is we? Well, I'm your host Andrew, and as per usual, I'm joined by my co-host Mick. Hi, and listen, Andrew, if you can believe it, you can be it. Wow, that really is the power of positive thinking. Yeah. That's my mantra for 2021. With you having said that, I feel like both our notes for this episode are going to have some common themes. (laughs) Which is that it's just entirely lines from a certain character. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's it's exciting times. It is twenty twenty one, a whole new year. Yes, uh, and uh, you know, given given the events of twenty twenty, uh, an eagerly anticipated follow up year. Yeah, just I mean, a lot of the times with sequels, you think, oh no, how can they possibly top the original? But this one, this one just needs to be literally anything else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just let me leave the house again 2021 please <laughs> anyway enough of that now Mick what do you wish to talk about a film today um Yes, I really want to talk about a film. I want to talk about. I want to talk about a film more than anything else in the world. Well, then, granted, as we behold Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Oh, hold on! Your leg just dropped off. Now, well, consequences. Who needs them? <sighs> well, it'll make running easier. Exactly, just like the monkey's paw isn't. <laughs> anyway, yes, this is Wonder Woman 84, or WW84, or WWONEF. That one would have been easier for just written it down. WWNEF. Yeah, ONEF. See, this is generally better than I hoped because I can now see you on the video screen desperately trying to, like, connect the dots of this elaborate theory when it is, in fact, just 1984. Oh, yeah. I hate you with a passion you can only dream of. But if you dream of it, then you can have it. There we go. It's, it was all worth it. Anyway, yes, this is the the just about 2020 film. Directed by Patty Jenkins, written by Patty Jenkins, Jeff Johns and Dave Callahan, and based on the DC comic character created by William Moulton Marston, with a lot of input from both his wife, Elizabeth Holloway Marston, and their life partner, Olive Byrne. Because basically, the creation of Wonder Woman is a super interesting situation. 
and 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 quite bizarre. It is. It's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I would love to see a documentary on it. And then I realized, I think they did actually make a documentary on it. And so I should probably just watch that at some point. Uh, well, uh, I, there's a, there's a biopic. Well, oh, that's way. right. It is a biopic, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because isn't it? Um, yeah. What's his name? Luke, Luke Evans, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, it's. It's rare that the creation of a comic book character is interesting enough of a story that it warrants having a film made. Anyway, yes, I feel like we're also talking around it a bit. Mm. Because, to be honest, Wonder Woman as a comics character, I don't know. Well, like, I don't think I've actually ever read a single issue of a Wonder Woman comic. Um, I've I've read a couple um roundabout free comic book day that kind of thing. Um, actually, yeah, I guess I've, I've probably read some like free comic book day stuff, things like that. Yeah, and there's I've got some of the um Beagle Moss DC hardbacks, and there's a couple of Wonder Woman tales in there, but mainly I'm I'm familiar with. The character from reading sort of Justice League stuff and team ups with Batman and Superman, the Holy Trinity of DC Comics. Indeed, yes, I think I'm pretty much the same. I don't, I certainly I would like to read some Wonder Woman comics, and if DC would hurry up and actually release their streaming thing over here so that I can access their backlog of comics, I certainly will. You mean their former streaming thing? Yeah, yeah, so DC Universe, I think, like, they've stopped doing it as a TV streaming service, but they are keeping up the, the basically, like, Marvel Unlimited thing, where it's just, here's a load of old comics. Ah, uh, right. And that, I believe at some point in 2021, it's releasing over here. Right. Yeah, I've been waiting for that for a while, because I know, um... Greg Rucker, he did a Wonder Woman run, and he's like one of my favourite comic writers, so I'd be very interested in reading that. Well, let's hope. If you wish for it really hard. It might just spring into existence. I like it. And even better, that's what I'll just tell the police when they ask me why I was trying to touch Pedro Pascal's face. <laughs> it's because he'll make my wishes come true. <laughs> yes, and also, of course, with Wonder Woman, I guess the big thing that most people know her for is the, the 2017 movie. Oh, yeah. That was really good, wasn't it? It was. It is two-thirds of really incredible film, and then has an ending as well. Yes. But we're not here to talk about that film, are we, Andrew? No. Indeed. Well, I mean, we might talk about it a little bit in relation to its sequel, but we're mm. mainly here to talk about the, the 1,984th installment in the Wonder Woman franchise. Yes. And what you've got to remember is that uh, numbers two through 
1983 were considered so poor as to never see the light of day. Indeed. I'm actually, I was quite disappointed because my original plan was going to be to go off what's called Wonder Woman 84. So if we take like every episode of the Linda Carter TV series and then like the first film, can we get it to 84? But then I realised, no, the, the full title has the full 1984. Yeah. I mean, we could have put, we could have stretched it a little bit with the uh, what was she called? Kathy something in 1974. Oh, was it Kathy? Kathy Crosby or something? Yeah, some, someone like that. Yeah, the really weird 70s pilot. Yeah. And then uh, also there's the Adrian Palicki 2011 pilot. Yes, I, you know, I keep forgetting you've sent me a link for that. I need to watch it at some point. <laughs> she wears trousers. I mean, they're not even trousers. They're like those sort of stretchy exercise trousers, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, speaking of Wycra, that's definitely a segue to talk about Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> So, time for our synopsis, and as per usual, even though this is a, a new release, uh, we will be doing spoilers in this and the discussion that follows, because it's quite hard to talk about stories without saying what things happen in the story. Yeah, and if, if you don't like spoilers, I mean, the film has been out in a limited way for at least a week. What have you been doing? I mean, it was 2020, seriously, what have you been doing? Obviously, the answer is despairing. No, all right. Anyway, Wonder Woman 1984. So, we begin with a flashback to Diana's childhood on Themyscira, where she takes part in the cryptids, I mean the Amazon factor. It's it's a bizarre sporting event, isn't it? There's one event that appears to be a, a, an unholy combination between uh, Polo and Quidditch. This. Also, I was sure initially that one of the big obstacles they were climbing over was just like a giant high-heeled shoe. Yes, it it's like it's like the cheese dream edition of Total Wipeout, isn't it? It is. Yet yeah, it's somewhat. I mean, again, it's that Maxwell Lord thing of looking at the triathlon and going more. <laughs> So, yes, she takes part in that and learns an important lesson about the about the fact that true heroes don't cheat to win. Then, after that scene, which takes far longer than that summary would make you think, we cut to the <laughs> 1980s. They have got a lot of horses to fit in, and and a death slide, and, and a lot of um, walking on uh, pillars and going out into the countryside and getting smacked in the face with trees and stuff. And one of those big swings that you always try and push your friends off of. Yeah. Anyway, 1980s. Diana Gal Gadot has been living among the humans after defeating Ares at the end of the first film. However, she has no personal life to speak of now that everyone she knew from 1918 has passed away. Uh, she's also still fighting crime as Wonder Woman, but now does so in secret. By which I mean, very much in broad daylight, but then she makes a little shushy face at people not to tell. 
which absolutely works because come on, if if Gal Gadot asked you to keep a secret from her, you would, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. But she gives you the little wink as well. Yeah. But so, also, also, it, it is bizarre that there are no sort of like because she, she does that to people who are involved in whatever incident she's she's attending, but. There doesn't seem to be any mass sort of news or media sort of hints and, you know, stories about mysterious athletic superwomen. Yeah, like, I think they they kind of hinted a little bit at the start. And I guess it's kind of the thing... Like in one scene where she smashes all the cameras with a, a boomerang tiara thing. Yeah. But it's kind of... It, it stretches suspension of disbelief a little bit, shall we say. Just just a little bit. Anyway, when she's not Wonder Womaning about, Diana works as an anthropologist at the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. Uh, one day she makes friends with fellow researcher Barbara Minerva, played by Kirsten Wigg who is looking into an artefact recovered by Diana from a recent jewellery store robbery. Uh, the artefact seems fake, but is of great interest to wannabe oil magnate Maxwell, wannabe oil magnate Maxwell Lord, Pedro Pascal, and it's soon revealed that the stone has the power to grant any wish. Max steals the stone and wishes for its power to be transferred to him so that he can use it to grant various powerful people wishes in order for more power of his own. Uh, Diana chases after Max, but is somewhat sidetracked by the fact that due to a wish she inadvertently made, her boyfriend Steve Trevor, Chris Pine, kind of, we'll get back to that, is now is now alive again. Yes. So, after a touching reunion, Diana and Steve steal a jet, with Diana um, just makes invisible. Again, we'll get back to that. (laughs) (laughs) And chases Max to Cairo. Which we probably won't get back to, but I do want to stay on the record that a fighter jet absolutely does not have enough fuel, not only to get from Washington DC to Cairo, but somehow back again. Well, I don't know. Maybe... Maybe its fuel efficiency is increased by the lack of friction when it's invisible. But we'll get back to that. Yes, why not? (laughs) However, when confronting Max, Diana learns the true price of her wish as she begins to lose that which is most valuable to her, her powers. And again, side tangent that we will get back to. (laughs) That is absolutely not an example of the classic literary device, The Monkey's Paw. (laughs) anyway the situation is further worsened when Diana learns that not only does the stone which Max has taken the power from grant people's wishes it's also been linked to the downfall of pretty much every single civilization through history and maybe the end of the world as we know it I can do 80s references too you can well done And then complicating the matter even further is that Barbara is now desperate to stop Diana after wishing to escape her boring life by being more like Diana 
and inadvertently gaining the powers of Wonder Woman. What's a Shall girl to do? Shall we get back to, to that one later? Yeah, yeah, that one again. We will get back to later. <laughs> so yes, Diana needs to stop Maxwell Lord, save the world, and get her powers back. But doing so may mean giving up the one thing she loves the most in the world. So, chocolate. Yes, that's right, chocolate. <laughs> Also Steve, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so Mick, what did you think of this film? Uh, do you remember back in 2017 when everybody thought after the mess that was Justice League that the DC Extended Universe was dead? Yeah, we and did. Then and then Wonder Woman came along and, and rescued it. I do remember that. And rescued it in some style, it has to be said. And the big question on everybody's lips when WW84 came out was can Patty Jenkins pull this off again? I've got to say, I think the answer's no. It's. I mean, let's look at what's good about it. Yeah, I don't because I, I will say I thought it was it was definitely an absolute mess of the film. Um, I still quite enjoyed it though. So I guess yeah. I guess what I'm really trying to say is that I thought it was good, but it could be better. Yes. Uh, Gal Gadot is. Exceptional as Diana Stroke Wonder Woman. She is indeed. Yeah, it's she's she's just got that kind of something about her, doesn't doesn't she? Yeah. Now, as someone who grew up in in the sort of um, mid to late seventies, watching Linda Carter's Wonder Woman, I thought that was the quintessential Wonder Woman, and that no one else could ever play it. And then Gal Gadot turned up in twenty seventeen, and and. I can't see anybody else replacing her in the short to medium term. Interestingly, um, I heard that I was reading as part of my research for this that prior to being offered the role uh, for 2017 Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot was on the verge of um, giving up acting. Yes, I mean I, I can yeah I can kind of see it I guess because I think up till then she'd mainly just been like. Oh, Gal Gadot, you, you can be a sexy lady in the Fast and Furious films. Mm. Stand there and, and look attractive, but don't have too much character development. But yeah, no, I think it's a, definitely a good thing she didn't then, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so Gal Gadot is, is just Diana Prince and Wonder Woman now. That's, that's just who she is. Um, I thought... Um, for the most part, uh, Kirsten Wig does a bang-up job of portraying the two aspects of Barbara Minerva. Yeah, I would say certainly any ba problem I battling have... Battling against the more nonsensical elements of it, as she does. Yeah, I was going to say, any problems I have with, with Cheetah in this film are not due to Kirsten Wig's performance. Yeah. 
Except possibly um, the fact that she does not have a scene where she introduces herself with a song and explains why she's a jellical. <laughs> the, the, what I liked about um, Barbara Minerva um, being portrayed by Kirsten uh, is she does it in a very similar way to Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns as Catwoman. In that she plays the put upon, ignored, nobody notices me, um, bookish Barbara really well. But she also plays the hey, look at me, I've suddenly got these powers version equally well. Yeah. With the with the elements that are missing as a result of her wish. Yes, because I think like the idea is that she kind of loses her empathy, isn't it? Yeah. And yes, she, she definitely sells that very well. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, Pedro Pascal as Maxwell Lord, um, I think basically the direction he got was, uh, Pedro, up there, that's the top. I'd like you to go over it and not stop. Yeah, I, I absolutely love Pedro Pascal in this film. <laughs> I mean, there are some big performances in cinema. But this one... <laughs> yeah, I think if, if the 1980s was a human being, it would be Pedro Pascal's <laughs> Maxwell. <laughs> it would. Um... And and the the sort of supporting cast in the in the opening sequence that you talk about, you know, Robin Wright as MTOP and uh, that's Connie Nielsen as Hippolyta. Hippolyta. Yeah, that they're solid as they were in the first film. They don't have much to do, but you know what they do, they do well. Um, yeah, definitely. That opening scene is definitely an obligatory. Let's just go back to Themyscira for something because people liked that in the first film. Yeah, which is um, which again is a, is a little bit not not to get too into the negative straight away, but I feel like there's a lot more you could have done with that scene, with regards to things later on in the film. Yes, um, Chris Pine as Steve Trevor. I mean, he didn't do anything wrong, really. He he kind of was Steve Trevor. But I wouldn't say it was a particularly strong outing. See, I, I liked him and Diana. I think those two actors play off each other very well. Yeah. Um, I think the main thing with Steve Trevor, and I guess it's a bigger problem with Wonder Woman 1984 in general, is that a lot of his stuff is just being like amazed at, oh look, it's the 80s, it's very futuristic, even though we, the audience, though it's quite retro and outdated now. Yeah. And that's the thing, well, the, that's, that's basically well, just it's all the jokes that you've already seen in the trailer, the trailer that came out an entire year ago now, and yeah. so you're very familiar with it. But that was the problem for me, because it was it was a very sort of fish out of water by the by the numbers. And didn't really 
build on it in any way, shape or form. You could have had some lovely comedy moments, you know, as he gets used to modern modern life. But there wasn't time, which is odd because it's a really long film. <laughs> yeah, it's a really long film in which basically nothing happens for like the first hour and a bit. <laughs> um, it, I mean, for me, the the big issue is the the sort of the lack of the lack of sort of illustrating what the stakes are when people use this powerful. Um, MacGuffin to make their wishes, right? Because yes, I get it for the for the added tension. You don't find out what the flip side of the wish thing is, but um, the the other side of it is you don't really get to understand what people's um, things, things they hold most dear are, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's like, I mean, you even have that whole big action scene in Cairo before mm-hmm. you learn even about like the, oh, if Max keeps using these powers, it's probably gonna like result in the end of the world. So there's just this huge stretch of film where you watch the thing. What exactly is Wonder Woman trying to stop him? Yeah. Uh, so, the, the the thing that gets me with, with Maxwell Ward, the, it's the inconsistency around this this wish thing, the wish mechanics. And, you know, I, I appreciate we're dealing with a comic book story and we're dealing with uh, a supernatural thing that's been made up and it, it etc. But even within that context, you need to have an internal logic. And there isn't one with this Dreamstone. Um, At no point do you get any indication that Maxwell Lord's health is important to him. Yeah, I mean, if if anything, by the logic of, because to let out this thing is supposed to be, the Dreamstone grants your greatest wish, but in return it takes from you that which you value the most. So surely yeah. it's, it should be something like, as Max gets more powerful, his son gets ill, because yes, his son is the absolutely. most valuable thing to him. Because that's that's the whole reason that drives Maxwell Lord, is to make his son proud of him, to give a legacy to his son. So the thing that he holds most dear is his son, not his own health. So for for me, that's where that logic falls yeah. down. It's also it's not clear if that is because of the wish, or it's just where like Max has snorted a load of magic rock, <laughs> and that's what's messing his body up. <laughs> also, there's a bit yeah. where he says everyone's allowed one wish. By the way, Barbara, do you want to have a second wish? Yeah, <laughs> and then and then you've got uh, Kirsten Wiggs. Um, Barbara, wishing she could be more like Diana. Now, obviously, inadvertently, she doesn't realise that uh, Diana's got these Amazonian powers. So, 
the fact that she becomes stronger, more agile, more athletic is a bonus. But the thing that neither she, the audience, or probably Diana are aware of are Wonder Woman's feline qualities. Yeah, that's... I mean, I guess, I guess at first, Cheetah's kind of just, she is someone with the powers of Wonder Woman who likes to wear a lot of leopard print clothing. Yeah. And then she just has a bit where she's like, oh, I, I want to become an apex predator, by which I mean, I want to become a Cheetah lady because um, Cheetah is a character from the comics. Yeah. There's, there's like no the, consistent... The, the, there's no consistent logic there at yeah. all. There's also, I feel like it's also like a storytelling problem. That, so as we said, the idea is, by that Barbara makes a deal where she gets more powerful, but in return ends up losing all her empathy. But she doesn't know that she's going to lose her empathy when she makes that wish initially. Yeah. So, like, she becomes a villain, and it's not really her fault. And the, the, the again, as with uh, Max Lord, there's no real build-up to the fact that she is this humane sort of picture of empathy. She's an insecure bundle of nerves. But other than that, there's no great humanity displayed other than she wants to have some friends. Yeah, because I mean, I guess like the thing that's supposed to prove it is the fact that she's like nice to that homeless guy. Yeah, but you can also interpret as that just she's incredibly lonely. Yeah, right. So it... and that's like I feel like the... that's something. If the, it had been stronger, you could have like lent into that more. Like the idea that that is why Bob is a bad person, because at the end of the day. She oh, she's only nice to people because she thinks she's going to get something in return for it. Yeah. And kind of once she realizes she doesn't have to be, that's when she becomes this like monstrous villain. Instead of, because it just it makes it a bit of a problem that her villainy basically isn't her fault. Yeah. Also, this is the that it's my nitpick that really annoys me. The film, like gets really confused between the monkey's paw and the Faustian bargain. Because a yes. Faustian bargain is, I will give you what you want, but in return I will take something precious from you. Like, you know, your soul in the classic story. A monkey's mm -hmm. paw, which, again, they make so many references to the stone being, is something completely different. The monkey's paw is the thing that grants you your wish, but does it in a specific way that makes, like... It's a trickster exactly. god type thing, It's, it's it? very yeah. much that, oh, I will grant you the exact wording of the wish. So, like... I want millions of pounds in money and it's all Monopoly money. Yes. That kind or, of thing. I guess, like, the, the example I was thinking of for this is if Diana wished that Steve, you know, hadn't died in the first film. And so it's like, yeah, okay, there you go. He survived that airplane crash. And then lived to like a hundred and died because we're like sixty odd years in the future now. Yeah, that's that's a monkey's paw. Yeah, uh, 
And while we're on the subject of Steve Trevor, um, I have a problem with the idea that um, Diana, the demigoddess, Amazon princess and warrior, and let's face it, um, symbol for female power an icon, if you will, for that, um, is pining over this bloke. Yeah, it gets a bit like... <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a bad idea. I just... I feel like the execution, it's very... I mean, I think she literally says things like, I'll never love another man like you, Steve. And it does... Yeah. It does feel a bit uh, like apart from towards the apart from towards the end when I meet that bloke whose body you inhabited that I couldn't see. Oh no, was that the same man? Yes. Oh no. Oh <laughs> no, that makes it so Because that's that's the point that's the worst terrible thing in this point. Is that Steve the, what what I, what I said it was Chris Pine kind of. It's because it's Chris Pine playing Steve Trevor. But actually, he's possessing the body of a completely different man. And that's very bad. Yes. And then, oh, then the fact that she's like, oh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just hook up with the man, with the guy who I've already had incredibly questionable relations with. While he was, <laughs> I mean, I guess, technically while he was comatose. <laughs> Yeah. See, this is... See, it's weird, because I see, feel like... See, you didn't like... realise how problematic that bit was, did you? No, I... See, I thought it was just... It was a different guy at the end, wearing that same outfit that Diana had picked out for Chris Pine in that one scene. Oh. Oh, well... no. <laughs> see, this is... I'm very confused, because this should be the point at which I say, and that's why you shouldn't let a man direct a Wonder Woman film. <laughs> Patty Jenkins, this is on you. This was the kind of stuff we were supposed to avoid. <sighs> anyway, scootling away from that very swiftly. <laughs> the other thing for me is, what is the point of the Golden Eagle armor? Um... So the production designer can have an Oscar grab? I mean, yes. I also would have accepted the answer because we've got a whole new toy line to sell. <laughs> but it's it's so weird that, like, they mention it a little bit at the start. Yeah. Then halfway through the film, literally Steve Trevor's like, Hi, Diana, what's underneath this tarp? Oh, it's my invincible suit of armor that I found. And yeah. then she just puts it on at the end. And she puts it on at the end and basically uh, it doesn't... And it actually turns out to be crap. Yeah, if anything, it's worse <laughs> than just her normal Wonder Woman outfit. Because Cheetah just, like, rips the wings off. Like, yeah. There's that internal logic again. And, and it's really weird, because it's something... And my my main theory for this 
is that I think Wonder Woman 84 at some point went through quite a lot of rewrites. Because it seems like there's a clear line of logic of going, okay, here is this invincible suit of armor. Diana then learns an important lesson as a child about how you can't just take a shortcut to win things. Diana then loses her powers, is told the only way to get those powers back is to kind of renounce Steve and send him back to the afterlife. It seems very clear to me that that's the point. And all through the film I was expecting, okay, and then she's going to put the invincible suit of armor on, and that's going to be the thing where she'll try and kind of use it as a shortcut to say, you know, if I put this on, then it's still kind of like I've got my powers and I don't have to give Steve up. Then it gets trashed. Then she says, okay, yes, you're right, Steve, you've got to go. Then she gets her powers back. Then we have the big final fight with Jesus. Yeah. In the same way, that that's also maybe why that's a bit mixed up as to like what the stone actually does. Because the person, like, there's that one guy who wishes he had a farm and then gets stuck with just like a load of cows in his apartment. That's that's more of a monkey's paw thing. Yeah. And also, and, and again, also the, the Steve Trevor possessing another man's body. Because the other thing with that is it doesn't factor into the plot except that bit at the end. Yeah. And there's even a bit where she's, like the whole point of them stealing the jets is that they can't get on an airplane because Steve doesn't have a passport. But but yes, he would because he's just possessing some random dude. Yeah. And that all stinks to me of stuff that's like been chopped around in a few different drafts. And it's just yeah. been and, left and, over. And someone hasn't had that oversight to go, hold on, if you're taking that bit out, you need to not have that bit left in. Yeah, exactly. And it maybe needed a final run through to like, tighten up the continuity. Yeah. And a final um, run through to tighten up some of the CGI. <laughs> the... Let, let's go back to some positivity. I thought I thought when Diana started to regain her powers, that was handled really well. And it reminded me of some of the scenes where Christopher Reeve is learning how to fly in the original Superman movie. Yeah, but that bit of just like her running down the street and she's just getting like faster and faster as her powers come back. That I, I really yeah. like that. And again, yeah. I, I, I like to do the things like sort of launching herself into the air by like looping the lasso around a plane or like swinging around spines. Yeah. And she yeah. does the cool thing from the first one where she like skids along the floor and like kicks the guy's legs out from underneath him. Yeah. But just in general, that, that whole scene where she stops the robbery at the mall, I thought was just a lot of fun. Yeah. And the um and the chase scene with the trucks. Yes. That was awesome. And like the bit where it's going badly, so then she just Flips an entire truck over. Yeah. Also, it helps that, like, as with the first film, there's always there's just that little moment where that truck chase scene starts, and you just hear the da 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 da
which apparently nearly got dropped for the second one. Why? That's such a cool song. Why would you ever drop that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently we're going to go in a different direction with the music. And uh, the composer went, but I wrote that for Wonder Woman. Yeah. Why would you do it? I mean, I, I guess I, I can see the idea of like, well, if we do it, we need to do a whole new thing with like more 80s sounds. But that's such an yeah. iconic bit of music. Like, you can't. Especially because, like, it's maybe the one, like, bit of the DCEU where a character actually has an iconic theme tune that's not just, let's take the, the Chris Reeve and the Tim Burton versions. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the, the, the action sequences are, are, are pretty, pretty well done. There is some dodgy CGI. Um, yeah, like, I think... That, the, the final fight with Cheetah just kind of is is not good because it's a very typical. Oh, it's a bunch of CGI at night, so it's you know just grey smashing into grey. Yeah. Um. But uh, something I did like, and I will admit it's incredibly cheesy, but I, I do love Diana kind of not beating Maxwell Lord up, just like saving the world by doing a, a big compassionate speech thing. Because I feel like that's like that's who Wonder Woman is. That's why she's not Superman. She's not Batman. Like she's not just there to punch all the bad guys. She's gonna yeah. like use compassion and understanding to save the day. And that's I mean again that's kind of the big point that I feel like was missing from the end of the first film. Because that did just turn into okay, you need to save the day by punching the bad guy a lot. Yeah. And again, Maxwell Lord, absolutely fantastic. Because he's just so much. It's like it's like he's an actor who for whom the director never has to say that was great, but can you just give me more? I mean, I hope they did, and at that point he turned around and screamed, "More!" <laughs> but now, yeah, like I say, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four is a film that like has an incredible amount of problems but by the end of the film I'd had a good time yeah you can still enjoy it I mean as I mentioned it is a long film it's 151 minutes yeah I I will also admit full disclosure I took a break halfway through yeah me too because two I need even more coffee <laughs> That's just that's too long a runtime. Yeah, and unnecessarily so because, as you mentioned earlier, you know, for the first hour, there's barely anything happens. There's the exceptionally good Olympic sequence at the beginning, which is really well shot, really well done, and is a joy to watch, but. For the sake of the point it needs to make, 
could possibly have been a little bit short. Yes, yes, exactly. Thank you. That, that was kind of the point I wanted to make. Is that I love that scene. I don't love that scene being like a good 10 to 12 minutes of a two and a half hour long movie. <laughs> and really, because I feel like that scene should have just been like, I don't know, Diana's mother explaining the legend of Asteria or something. Yeah. You know, so again, it makes sense in the film. But there is one thing that made me happy to sit through 151 minutes. Is it the post credit scene? It is the post credit scene. Because, yes. Every middle-aged fanboy watches that mid <laughs> mid credit scene and goes, Yeah! It's especially just because it's, and, and again, full spoilers, it's, you know, a woman walking down the street and it's the kind of thing, oh, is, is that maybe Diana? And then, like, some pole is about to fall on a baby's pram and the lady just catches it in one hand. And they think, oh, yeah, that's probably Diana. And the mum kind of runs up behind her and says, what the, who, who are you? What's your name? And spinning round dramatically, Linda frickin... And the key, the key thing is, she spins. Yes, with the, the full, like, proper old-school TV spin. It's freaking Linda Carter as Asteria. <laughs> and I, I love that she says, like, oh, I've been doing this for a long time, and winks at the camera. <laughs> it, it's brilliant. It's, um... It's, it's just delightful. I mean, I, I, I was... I was quite happy in the first uh, season and a bit of Supergirl where Linda Cat was the pri uh, president of the US. Yeah, now she's like President Wonder Woman. Yeah. Also, she looks great. She does. She does. I guess, is she actually in Amazon? I'm willing to I'm willing to believe that this is why there was so long between the um, 1975 series and the 2017 movie. Um, they had to find another Amazon to take over from Linda Carter. Actually, yeah, I, I guess it is quite hard for the casting calls when you've got to wait for your next actress to escape from Themyscira. Well, this is well, you know, they, they probably have Linda's sort of details on file, you know, name. Linda Carter, a.k.a. Um, occupation, Amazon. Home address, Themyscira. And then, oh, can you just nip to Themyscira and get us another Amazon? Uh, no, why not? Because we don't know where it is. It is. Okay, that does remind me. It's a little joke that did make me laugh a lot is when Diane is talking about her completely inexplicable making things invisible powers. And she says, yes. the last time I tried this was 50 years ago on a coffee cup. And then I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess the uh, only thing for us left to do is to rank it on our list from 1 to 27 with Rotom Edition mm -hmm. at number one and 30 Days of Night at number 27. You know what that makes this difficult, don't you? 
Bradford. We haven't put the we haven't got the twenty seventeen one in there. <laughs> Which is probably the fairest comparison. Yes, that that is true. Because you released it, ruining all my plans. <laughs> I mean, you know what we do have on the list, though? The film we covered what? but a scant show ago, Atomic Blonde, a female-led action film set and heavily inspired by the 1980s. Well, that's, that is almost like you planned it. It's almost like DC's release schedule played into your hands. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> it certainly wasn't the case that I got about halfway through Wonder Woman 84 and went, wait a minute, this is very thematically similar to the film we already did. But yeah, so. but again, it's that block of Tank Girl at 17, Atomic Bond at 18, and Batman Returns at 19 that I think I'd put 84 in that same kind of category as well, like yeah. it, it's got problems, um, but also has things I like. Uh, so. Maybe, I'd, I'd be tempted to say maybe all the way below Batman Returns just because the problems in Wonder Woman 84 are, are very big. And I, I, I think the... I've, I've got... A, I think from, in, in terms of the, the sort of quality action scenes, because, you know, like unlike Batman in Batman Returns, Wonder Woman is A, C, and B, can move. Um, but I think... The, the fundamental fact for, for Wonder Woman 84 is that it hasn't learnt from Batman Returns and Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. It hasn't learnt from Spider-Man 2 and 3. It hasn't learnt from Batman vs Superman. Sometimes there's just too much plot for one movie. And I think, because I'm aware of Maxwell Lord from some of the Justice League stuff I've read, He's a minor bit piece villain. You know, he's not a he's not a major big bad. The focus here should have been the origin story for Cheetah and that battle with Maxwell Lord as a catalyst, maybe, in the background. But on the one side you've got a supervillain being born, set against the backdrop of drop of a world facing imminent destruction. And it's too much. It, because you're trying to squeeze all that plot into the movie, plus the ubiquitous scenes, because it's a superhero movie of superheroic action sequences and fantastic um, flying and fighting and Golden armor. Golden armor. The softest metal. Why would you make armor out of gold? I mean, um, at the very least, they changed the design from the comics. Or it literally looked like Wonder Woman's been eaten by a golden chicken. <laughs> but at the end of the day, they haven't learned that, you know, 
if you're going to make a fulfilling movie that people aren't going to tire of and need a break halfway through, you need to pare down the plot. You know, you should. Yes, you should have an A plot and a B plot, but the B plot is usually thematic. It's not a sort of active plot. Yeah, it's it's, it's again it's that but problem this... of okay, we've just got to put all the Wonder Woman things we can think of in the film. So we've got to have the invisible chair, we've got to have the cheetah, we've got to have the golden armor. How did that all fit together? Who cares? Stick them in there. Yeah, and and this is exactly the problem we had with Batman versus Superman, which actually turned into Batman versus Superman versus Wonder Woman versus Doomsday versus Lex Luthor. Well, with heavy quotation marks around both Doomsday and Lex Luthor, I would say. <laughs> But yeah, but I would still say, so, still yeah. say, probably better than Lock and Key season one, though. Well, yeah. So yeah, I'm, simply because it's better executed than Batman Returns, I'd be tempted to put it above. But because it hasn't worked from Batman Returns, I'm happy to put it even below. So, as you're the editor in chief. Where do you wish it went? Well, and I'll just, I guess, touch my... No, 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 Andrew, can't say that. I cannot say that I will touch myself. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, as the absolute authority then, I I think I am even more convinced than I was already by your argument that it just... It's had so many bad superhero sequels to learn from, and it hasn't. The Wonder Woman 84 is definitely going in as I'm number 20. And there you have it. It's a shame, because it was an eagerly anticipated sequel. Indeed. And I will still say, I'll still happily watch a Wonder Woman 3. Oh, yeah. And the alleged spin-off. Oh, yeah, the Amazon. But I mean, what film now doesn't have alleged spin offs? Well, yeah, it's just these days it's 50 50 as to whether it's going to be a TV spin off or a film spin off. Actually, yeah. I'd, I'd reckon we'd get like an Amazon's TV series. I know what needs to happen because this is the way that everything happens. Right? <laughs> Wonder Woman 84 and Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman uh, 3, whatever it ends up getting called. Um, there's a spin off TV show in between called The Amazons of Themyscira, which is a police procedural set on Themyscira where a rookie. <laughs> A rookie member of Hippolyta's guard is mentored uh, by an older, wiser warrior as they try and hunt down and solve the crime of the week, such as where is the missing good? Or who's stolen the eternal flame? 
I mean, and there'll be a ma- and there'll be a madcap, slightly sinister but ultimately warm-hearted uh, mortuary attendant in a cavern by a glowing pool of the mascara. I mean, the problem is, Mick, I really want to watch that. <laughs> Do their horses have little flashing police lights on them? Yes, Excellent. yes they do. <laughs> and their armour, the leather has uh, blue and yellow checks. Wait, so, so they police taped themselves? Yeah. Actually, yes, because they are the, the Amazons of Themyscira, you dare not cross them. Yeah, they're 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 pan- panda horses. Oh, that could happen. They're descended from gods. They could make panda horses. I mean, I'm pretty sure at one. That's like a horse with built-in blinkers. And I'm pretty sure at one point in the comics they used to ride around on kangaroos. So, if anything, panda horses is a step up. <laughs> anyway, I, I think that's probably about it from us, isn't it? Yeah, I, I need to take a tablet. But if you would like to listen to more, you can find all our episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. And if you do want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you are a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on your podcast app of choice or just recommended this to a friend. It is uh, the best way for us to grow as a show and get new listeners. And if you didn't enjoy the show, recommend this to an enemy. Yeah, I mean, I guess listens as listens. <laughs> anyway, that's everything. So next, so until next time, I've been Andrew. Ah, I've been Mick. So long, and thanks for listening. Thank you.